in Baptist churches, and I was one of those kids in the nursery and the baby department. And years ago, I, <clears throat> I remember growing up, one of the regular items or features of nearly every Sunday morning worship in the churches I attended was the singing of the doxology. In fact, it wasn't church unless you sang it. You know, praise God, from whom all blessings flow. I'm not going to sing it, okay? <laughs> praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, <clears throat> and Holy Ghost. Now, about the only time that we may sing the doxology is after the Lord's Supper and Sadly, uh, that was the extent of my understanding of what a doxology was. <clears throat> if I heard the word doxology mentioned, I would immediately think back to that familiar song that we traditionally sang. But a doxology is much, much more than a single song from the pages of a Baptist hymnal. A doxology is a... Any majestic hymn of praise to God. And the Bible, the Bible contains a number of these kinds of doxologies. They're wonderful. But certainly one of the most remarkable doxologies in all the Bible has to be the one that we find here in the first chapter of Ephesians. It begins in verse 3. I started it out last week in verse 3. And and then it goes all the way. As you remember, I shared with you, that's one long sentence in, in the Greek uh, New Testament. One sentence from verse 3 to verse 14. And so last week we introduced this great doxology and Paul uh, wrote, Praise our blessed be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who has blessed us. He's blessed us in the heavenly realms. With every spiritual blessing in Christ. We need to praise God. We really do. Because he has blessed us and blessed us. And blessed us hasn't he. With every spiritual blessing in Christ. Now, as Paul began to write these words, he began to think, I think, about all the blessings that God had given to believers. And for one, as I said, one long uninterrupted sentence in the original Greek text, he began to name all the blessings or many of the blessings of Christ. And the great doxology and hymn of adoring praise could easily be divided into three stanzas, okay? The first stanza is found in verses 3 to 6. And we will focus particularly on this stanza this morning, okay? And in this stanza, we find that the God the Father chose to bless us in Christ. Before the foundation of the, of the world, at the very beginning in creation. And He chose to adopt us and bring us into His family because of His amazing Glorious grace. Now the second stanza goes from verses 7 to 10. And that focuses on Christ's work of redemption through His blood. 
And because of what Jesus did on the cross, we can be forgiven. Aren't you glad? We can be forgiven and have His grace lavished upon us. And the third stanza found in verses 11 to 14 focuses on our inheritance as believers. Focuses on the fact that we have been sealed by the Holy Spirit who's the guarantee of that inheritance to the praise of His glory. Now this great doxology with its amazing three stanzas is really... When you think about it, all the more remarkable when we remember that the letter of Ephesians is a prison letter. Paul wrote Ephesians, they many believe, while imprisoned in Rome because of his faith in Jesus Christ. And so when we go through this letter together in the coming months, I think you'll be glad to see and I think excited to see that you're not going to find a single word of despair or complaint, or disappointment in the Apostle. The Apostle, instead of whining about his circumstances like I do, begins this great letter with this amazing outburst of praise for what God has done in blessing us as believers in Jesus Christ. Now, why is it that Paul was able to not get discouraged or defeated by the circumstances that he was experiencing? Why was he not sold down there in the prison? I believe the secret of Paul's joy and confidence can be found in what he writes in the book of Ephesians. We find here in the first chapter that Paul clearly understood his position in Christ. He knew what he had received as a believer. And even though he was imprisoned and facing all sorts of problems and persecution and hardships, it didn't change anything in his life. His position in Christ was secure. And he realized no earthly power could chain his soul. No circumstances could silence his praise of God. And so, I'm pleased this morning for us, excited really, for us to go through and take a closer look at the very first stanza of this remarkable doxology. If you'll stand with me, if you can stand, you don't have to stand. But I'm going to begin reading where I left off last week with verse 3, and we're going to go through verse 6, okay? I read out of the NIV, so it may not be exactly like your translation, but you'll see the translation on the screen. Verse 3. Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For He chose us in Him, before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in His sight. In love, He predestined us to be adopted as His sons through Jesus Christ, in accordance with His pleasure and will, to the praise of His glorious grace, which He has freely given us in the one He loves. Amen. 
and amen. You may be seated. As we look at it, we, we're going to find that these verses we'll see Paul praising God for at least three important things that God has done for us. He's done a lot more, but he focuses on three important things. And the first thing we see him praising God for is that we have been chosen in Christ for a purpose. We saw verse 4, and also look at verses 11 to 12. In him, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were first hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. Whenever we venture, I, 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 I even am a trembling to venture in a discussion of the subject of election this morning. We enter into a subject that I believe we will never fully understand. Not only is it difficult to understand, but it's a bit controversial, isn't it? People have been arguing about what it means to be chosen or elected or predestined for centuries. Uh, <laughs> personally, I would have uh, really liked for Pastor Tony to have gotten this difficult job of expounding this truth today. <laughs> but it seems I've been chosen and elected for the task this morning. <laughs> All right, and this truth is is a great truth, and we should not sidestep, we should not ignore it, but we should never, I think, be so arrogant as to think that we can fully understand this truth. In Romans eleven thirty three, we find we find Paul, and Paul launches into another great doxology in that scripture. And he speaks of God's ways being at times difficult to know. And we know that, don't we? We read in verse 33, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. And I think we all have to humbly confess at times God's ways are beyond our understanding completely. But that being said, we also must not hesitate to try to comprehend, even if not fully and completely, we need to try to understand what is meant by these verses. God chose us, where we read in verse 4, God chose us in Him before the foundation or before the creation of the world. That's truth, folks. I do not fully understand what it means, but it's true nonetheless. Now, the root meaning of the word chose is to pick out or to select. And the root meaning of predestined is to mark out in advance. You see, God chose to do something before the earth had been created, before man had ever been formed, and before man had even sinned. He chose us in Christ 
before the foundation of the world to be blameless in his sight. Now, what does he mean by this? I have to say that uh, there are those who I call uh, uh, radical Calvinists, hyper-Calvinists, who believe that this meant that God, before the earth was formed up in heaven, was up in heaven going eeny, meeny, miny, mo, choosing some to be saved and choosing some to be lost for all eternity. They actually believe that men or women chosen in this way by God could do little about it, had no choice in all, at all in the matter. Some would enjoy heaven because they were chosen by Him. Some would be condemned to hell forever because God chose them for that purpose. And I share with you strongly my personal opinion. I cannot believe this interpretation of what it means to be chosen in Christ. I do not believe that. I reject it strongly, and I do not believe it for a few reasons, at least two. First of all, first of all, it goes directly against the revealed character of God in Scripture. God is holy. He does have wrath. He, he will judge. All those things are true. But also we understand that God is just. And He's also kind and He's loving. You see, for God to have chosen people for hell with no choice, no chance, would not make God just or even holy. So this cannot be what being chosen by God means. Secondly, this kind of interpretation, I think, goes quite honestly, clearly against the clear teaching of Scripture in many places. It actually makes some of what the Bible says nothing less than a lie. John 3.16 would be a lie where Jesus says, For God so loved the world, that He gave this one and only Son, that whosoever is chosen, no, He says, whosoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. You see, the gospel and call to believe, I believe is taught that it's open to all. Whosoever will believe can be saved. So any understanding of being chosen that makes whosoever believes in him shall not perish not true is therefore a lie. Knowles are strong words. But let me add this other verse for, for you. Second Peter 3.9. And there's other verses besides these two. And Second Peter 3.9, Peter's talking about God and he said, The Lord is not slow. He's not slow in keeping His promise. As some understand slowness, He's patient with you, not wanting anyone, anyone to perish. But everyone, that word is everyone, everyone to come to repentance. That's what God's purpose and desire is. 
Now, is this verse true? Well, yeah, absolutely. All the verses in the Bible are true. Then any understanding of chosen and as God not wanting and desiring everyone to come to repentance and to be saved and not perish has to be wrong because it makes this statement of God to be false. What does it mean to be chosen then? We do know that Jesus said to his disciples, you have not chosen me, but I've chosen you. We also know that Jesus also said in John 3.18, whoever believes in him, that is in Christ, is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God and in the name of God's one and only Son. So, well, as I look at it, we have two themes in the Bible clearly being taught, okay? We have God's choice, His election. And secondly, we have man's freedom and his ability to believe being taught. Both truths, both truths can be seen in Scripture, can't they? So both must be true, yet they seem to be contradictory, don't they? I'm sure of one thing this morning, okay? I'm sure of one thing out of this message. Since people have been arguing about these truths for hundreds of years, I'm not going to solve it for you this morning. That is absolutely true. But let me try to shed some light on it, okay? I'm going to say right out of the box. You don't have to agree with me, okay? I don't have to agree with you. Is that all right? Can we agree on that? We don't have to agree. All right, we can go ahead. Now, these truths, these two truths are held in tension. And I think we make a mistake sometimes if we try to remove the tension in Scripture. If we remove either truth completely... We end up with a falsehood. So, I think it's important when we talk about God's choosing, I think from my perspective to notice that He qualifies that very clearly in these verses. He chose us. Is that all He said? No. He said He chose us how? In Him. In verse 11 we read, In Him. We were chosen, having been predestined, predestined, been predestined, predestined according to the plan. God had a plan, right? He had a plan for saving people from their sin. He had a plan from taking them from being condemned to being saved. That plan was made before the foundation of the world, and that plan was Jesus Christ. We were chosen in Christ and in Him. It's what I do not believe. I do not believe that God long ago in heaven decided that Clifford Vick will be saved and that Joe Smith will be lost for all eternity. I believe that God made a plan and he chose that whosoever will believe in Christ and anyone that will come to Christ in him will be saved. I was chosen to be saved, how? In Christ. If I would respond to God's drawing me to Him, him, 
and if I would believe in him. And I did, folks. I like what D.L. Moody said. He was, he was great sometimes. He said, the whosoever wills are the elect, and the whosoever wants are the non-elect. All right? You get that? And may I be so bold, may I be so bold as to say, no one in the Old Testament or the New Testament were ever saved by being chosen. That was not and never was the means of salvation. All right. What about the Israelites, Pastor? Did they not be, were they not chosen? Yes, they were chosen, the chosen people of God, chosen to be a blessing. But you remember Abraham, don't you? How was he justified? Because he was chosen? By faith. By faith. By faith. Not by being chosen. The chosen people were also, as we begin to study the Old Testament, were saved by faith. Looking ahead to Christ. And, and no person, you find me one, no person in the New Testament was ever saved apart from faith. In Jesus Christ. You find me one. We'll talk about it. You see God's plan. Before the foundation of the world. Was to see men and women. Boys and girls. To come to faith in him. And his will was that no one should perish. And that all should come to repentance and be saved. When a person believes in Christ. They have, they have been brought into the eternal plan. And chosen by him. For salvation. You see, God's plan of salvation was no afterthought, okay? Christ's death on the cross was planned by God in eternity past before the world was ever created. That boggles my mind. It should boggle your mind. I don't understand it at all. And for me to understand it, I would need to be God. And no one... No one wants me to be God because we'd be in a lot of trouble. We would. You should say amen. Yeah. Understanding the deep things and truths of God is not easy. I don't intend to think I understand fully today. For no matter how far we're able to see, there's a point in which it's impossible for us to see things. It's kind of like watching an airplane in flight. Right, Jim Kimmel? Yeah. We can see it for a while until it reaches a point where it finally goes beyond our sight. And God choosing us, an election is like this, I think, too. We need to be careful to avoid the extreme positions, and we must remember that anything that denies God's sovereignty and His right to do whatever He chooses, that's wrong. And also, anything that denies man's responsibility and freedom to respond is also wrong. I like what one person said. <clears throat> Nothing God plans or planned 
interferes with human freedom. And nothing humans do frustrates God's sovereign plan. I love J. Vernon McGee. He tells about a little boy who was telling about how he got saved. And he said, I did my part and God did his part. And he was asked to explain what he meant by his part and God's part. And he said, my part was sinning. I ran from God as fast as these rebellious little legs would take me. And my sinful heart would lead me. I ran from him. But you know, he done took out after me. Till he done run me down. Now a little boy's grammar may not be correct, but his theology is. That's right theology. It's God. It's God who has pursued us. It is God who draws us. It's God who does the saving. Before the foundation of the world, God had a plan for sinners like you and me. And He chose to do it in Christ. Now we could go on and on, and I probably wouldn't get any better, and it wouldn't get any clearer. Spent a long time here. There's so much more that could be said and needs to be said also this morning from this passage. But the first thing to praise God for is that we have been chosen in Christ for a purpose. The second reason we can praise God, we have been adopted into His family through Jesus Christ. Look at verse 5 with me again. He predestined us. What? What did He predestine us for? To be adopted as His sons. How? Through Jesus Christ. In accordance with His pleasure and will. Amen and amen. Every believer... Every believer in Jesus Christ has been given the privilege of being adopted, listen to me, into the family of God. His method to bring us into the family was adoption. God had only one, only one, only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. And He gave that only begotten Son so that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. In John 1, 12, we read, Yet to all who received Him, all who received Jesus, to those who believed in His name, He gave the right to become what? The children of God. They were adopted. You see, God chose a method of allowing men and women to be grafted into His family tree. His plan was to bring people into all the rights and all the privileges of His family. By means of adoption. This mean, the means was adoption. The way was even to them who believe on his name. And so when we are adopted into his family, we, we can, well, when are we adopted into his family is a good question. And I think the scripture teaches the moment that we believe and receive Jesus. Now, Many of you may not know me, but adoption speaks powerfully to me personally. Our first child in our family, our first child came into our lives and in our family 
through that thing called adoption. Our two sons who came later were natural born children, but our daughter, Joy, she was adopted from through Holt International. Now, I have to share with you, I was in there in those, uh, in the delivery room and because Beverly was cesarean, that was not easy. Not easy on her, but when the doctor made the first slice, I sat down. Uh, that, that was, that was, that was tough, but, uh, seeing a child born is very special. Seeing them come and start to cry, pee on the doctor, all those kind of things, you know. I was privileged to see both of our sons born. Great experience, wonderful experience, but folks, so is adoption. I have often said to folks if about adoption, I've said the best thing, the best thing we ever did in our lives was to adopt Joy. What a blessing she has been to our lives from the very moment that we held her in our hands in that Portland airport. She's been a blessing. And so adoption is special. This word that Paul uses in this verse, translated as adoption, literally means as sons. He's not trying to discriminate against women, but it says as sons. And the adopted child would have the full right by birth that a son would have who by birth. Now the term that Paul used for adoption was a common legal term in the Roman world. Many times in the Roman Empire, prominent men who are left without an heir would often adopt someone to be their son, and the adoptee would have all the rights, all the privileges as a natural-born son. Now, in Roman law, adoption was permanent, permanent, folks. It was possible for you under the law to actually disown a natural-born child who may have done something that displeased the father. But an adopted son was protected. An adopted son was protected under Roman law, could never be disinherited. Now, this speaks, I think, powerfully to our security as believers, folks. We have been adopted into the family of God. We can never lose our positions as members of His family, never lose our eternal inheritance. Amen? Amen. Now, under Roman law, all the, also all the past debts and liabilities were canceled for the adopted son. That was kind of an early loophole that they stopped later on. But right in the time that Paul was writing, this was the law. <clears throat> and the adoptee was considered to be a new person. And all previous debts could never be collected from him. Now think about what this means for a believer who has been adopted into God's family. Think about it. All our previous debt of sin, canceled, actually paid in full by Christ's blood on the cross, shed on the cross. We have been set free from our debt of sin when we're adopted into God's family. 
Now, in Ephesus in particular, I read, if a man wanted to adopt a son and have that son take his own name, he had to go before a magistrate at least three times to ensure that the son really wanted to be his. The adoptee had to freely choose to be adopted into the family. Our daughter Joy didn't get that choice with us. (laughs) There were times when she was growing up that she told us, you know, I'm glad that I don't have any of your genes. (laughs) She said that a lot of times. Usually said that when Bev and I were being especially irritating and embarrassing and not acting very well. Now, she's still our daughter, and we love her. But she had no choice in the adoptive process. But we do, folks. God has offered to us the privilege of being adopted into His family. He took the initiative. He took the initiative and He came and paid the price of our sins. He died on the cross to bring us into His family. But what we have to do is we must receive Him. We must respond to Him. We must accept his invitation to become a member of his family. Listen, if you're here today and you've not come to faith in Jesus Christ yet, today could be your adoption day. God has done his part. He's done everything needed to be done. He has has set his plan in motion before the foundation of the world. But now the ball is in our court. We Will you receive his gift of salvation and sonship? Will you do that? We can praise God, can't we? We can praise God that he's chosen to adopt us into his family. We can praise God that he chose us in Christ for a purpose. And one more thing. One more thing, okay? We can praise God, praise God for His glorious and matchless grace. We've been blessed because He has freely given us His glorious grace. Verse 6. To the praise of His glorious grace, which He's freely given us, In the one he loves. I think grace is one of the greatest words in the gospel story, don't you? We know its meaning. Traditionally, we rattle off that definition definition almost without thinking. Unmerited, undeserved favor. And that it is. But we really know how wonderful it is for us. To receive grace from the one he loves. Grace flows to us from the one he loves, which is a reference to the beloved, to Jesus Christ. Now it may seem strange to us, but grace is not a word that Jesus ever used. If you find it, tell me about it. Yet, yet, he taught it. He taught it. He taught grace by what he said, by how he lived, 
We see Him extending grace to outcasts, to the broken, to sinners, to the undeserving. And thankfully, He has extended His grace as far as to you and to me. And because He has done this, we need to break out in great and joyous praise for His glorious grace that He's freely given to us. Charles Swindoll wrote a book entitled The Grace Awakening. I think it's on Book of Galatians, but he took some time to explore the meaning of grace. And this is what he wrote. Understanding what grace means requires our going back to an old Hebrew term that meant to bend or to stoop. By and by it came to include the idea of condescending favor. And Swindoll writing illustrated what this kind of grace means. He began to talk about the royals, a king or a queen, that instead of remaining aloof and untouched by those around them, occasionally will stop, reach out and touch or even kneel to bless some commoner. He said, that is grace. There is nothing in the commoner that deserves being noticed or touched or blessed by the royal family. But because of grace, there is a desire in the moment to pause, to stoop, to touch, even to bless. And Donald Barnhouse, you may have heard of him, he was a pastor Bible scholar, he said it well when he said this. Love that goes upward is worship. Love that goes outward is affection. Love that stoops is grace. Paul is writing about God's glorious grace and the grace he's describing is this stooping kind of grace. That extends grace and favor and love and kindness to those who would never deserve it and can never repay it. This kind of grace cannot be earned. You cannot earn it. You cannot work for it and you will never deserve it. This kind of grace cannot in any way be achieved by us as a, as something that we deserve. Now think of it this morning. Think about the majesty and grandeur of our God. What a great God He is. Yet the gospel tells us that God stooped. He laid aside all of His glory. And He came to earth as a man. As a servant. Lived among us. And then he was beaten, crucified, and died to make it possible for us to be able to be accepted in heaven one day. That is grace, folks, in action. We will never, folks, we will never begin to understand grace until we realize that, realize 
Now, without God extending grace to us, none of us, none of us would ever have any hope of going to heaven and receiving eternal life. We've all sinned. We've all come short of the glory of God. You, me, everyone, all. We deserve hell. We don't deserve heaven. We deserve hell and punishment. There's nothing that I or anyone else could ever do to deserve to be saved or go to heaven. I actually like the King James Version on this verse. To the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He has made us accepted in the Beloved. You see, there's only one way to be accepted by God. And that is by the way of grace. As I said, I like J. Vernon McGee. J. Vernon McGee said, God sees the believer in Christ, and He accepts the believer just as He receives His own Son. Isn't that wonderful? No chance of me or you being accepted on the basis of our own merit. It's totally insufficient. We are without any hope or possibility of being accepted by God. I could never stand in the merit of Clifford Vick and have any chance of being accepted into heaven by God. I fail miserably. You fail miserably too. We all do. We can only stand in the merit of Christ. And we can only be accepted in the beloved, only accepted in the Son, Jesus Christ. So I hope you hope, I really hope this morning that you can join me in singing a wonderful doxology to Jesus Christ today, praising today. This doxology we've been looking at in Ephesians, its first part focuses on three. Great and wonderful things that we who have believed in Him can praise Him for. First, God can be praised because He's chosen us for a purpose in Christ. He's chosen us. Secondly, He can be praised because He's adopted us into His family. And thirdly and finally, He can be praised because He has stooped down to love us and to bless us with His glorious grace. I hope you're able to join in that doxology today because you have not yet, maybe maybe you're here though and you can't. You've not yet come to believe in Jesus Christ. You've heard of Him, but you've never placed your faith in Him. And if that's true of you, then I hope today, 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 before it's ever too late, that you will say, I want to come and place my faith and trust and hope of heaven in Christ. If you want to do that today, I'll be glad to talk to you anytime, anywhere. Pastor Tony, the same way. Many of our congregation would be willing to do that, but... This morning, right here on this door to the right, 
This is something you are led to do, want to do. Just walk through that door. There will be someone in a room there that's able to share with you how you can place your faith in, in Christ, receive Him as your Savior, be adopted into the family of God today. They can answer your questions. They're willing to guide you. They'll be patient with you. Whatever you want to, however long you want to take, they'll be there. But the thing is, you need to come to Christ. You should come to Christ now, today. You see, this can be a wonderful thing. This can be your adoption day. Wouldn't that be great? Let's bow together in prayer. Ask you to stand with me as we go to the Lord.